Hi, my name is Alan Silvestri, and uh, I'm here in Santa Monica at the beach, and uh, looking forward to a very nice chat about days gone by and days yet to come. Well, Alan, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me. I know you're here for a, a you know here for a short period of time, so it's mm-hmm. so great to, to sync up um, sync up with you. Um, but to to start off, I would love to maybe go back to the origin story and and talk mm-hmm. about your background growing up and kind of how did music kind of enter into your life and was that always a direct path to become a film and TV composer or was that kind of something that came later? Well, it certainly wasn't a, um, a thought, mm-hmm. the concept of composing music for film. Right. Um, I began kind of in a very, I guess we would call it a lower, lower middle income uh, environment, right. um, but fantastic loving parents. Um, they were non-musicians for the most part. There was no real music anywhere in my family. Um, and from the time I was about, I would say about four years old, I started to have this attraction to drums. Uh-huh. Um, and as I mentioned at Bill Ross's amazing evening yeah. <laughs> the other night, I started with two chopsticks on a notebook. As most kids do. As they? most kids do. <laughs> played along with my sister's accordion lesson. Wow. I played along with Saturday morning cartoons. Wow. When I went to grammar school, we had a public school music teacher, mm-hmm. Mr. Jenny, and I got a practice pad and started to learn something about rhythm and meter and all that. Um, went on through my school life, uh, junior high school, started playing the guitar, played bassoon in the school orchestra, played saxophone, continued to play drums, started to do some writing. It was kind of a big crossroad for me whether to to follow um, the baseball path mm. which was my dad's dream <laughs> or or this uh your dad this, wanted you to be a baseball player yeah he really did <laughs> and did or you know or to find my way in music and i had already been playing in bands playing drums mm. and guitar and junior high school bands for dances and things started to write went to berkeley in boston i'm gonna say it was around 1966 when i was 16 years old um had a spectacular summer there met bill levitt the amazing guitar teacher mm-hmm. and, and mentor there and i knew that when high school ended i wanted to go back to berkeley and yeah. really pursue this and so i did and then things kind of just <laughs> took its course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I wound up finally, you know, without being too long-winded about it, I wound up in Los Angeles, and, uh, and I never had any real awareness of mm. film scores. I didn't listen to them. I didn't know much about any of that. I was a rhythm section player. Uh-huh. My dream was to be a. Uh, a jazz guitar player. Wow. So guys like Wes Montgomery and Kenny Burrell were my idols. And, uh, you know, it's through a crazy set of circumstances, I wound up getting the opportunity to have a meeting with a producer of a low-budget film. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, I had a day to prepare. 
um, went to uh, find a book about all this film scoring <laughs> stuff and thank God there was one and, and thank God and thank Earl Hagen and uh, I got Earl's book had a night to go through what I could uh-huh. took my meeting got uh-huh. hired did this movie score the movie made money and, and here we are just snowballed there and wow there, yeah. <laughs> um, so when you first uh, started as a young composer I mean right now you have a style and you're known for a certain style and everything when you when you're starting out I asked this to a certain other composer I did do you consciously try to tell yourself oh I need to find my own sound or do you just kind of is it just something that just come, that you don't think about you're just like oh this seems natural to me and that will become my sound or do you go well I want to have you know I don't want to be like this person or this person I want to sound like yeah. like this well I can honestly say I had none of those thoughts mm-hmm. I mean really all I can remember was being asked to do something being terrified from the point of view of not really knowing whether or not I would be able to do it right um, as you know uh, film composing is very labor-intensive yeah and certainly back in the day when I started this was pre-DAW days um, it was pre-SMPTE timecode days mm-hmm. it was pre-video machine days <laughs> and it was you know I think we had regular cassettes back right. then uh, but certainly no video so when you spotted a movie that was the last time you saw it before you wound up in a recording studio oh, wow. with the score completed so it was terrifying yeah <laughs> so I didn't really think about any of those things I all I thought about was what am I going to do yeah and of course when you're when you're in that situation, you you do whatever you can. Right. And so, you know, my sound was my response to this terrifying situation. <laughs> situation yeah. So I do want, I want to talk about one of your longest... I mean, you, you and uh, Robert Zemeckis, Bob Zemeckis, have worked together for so long and are one of the most iconic director-composer uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. I, want you to, I want to know, how did you guys meet and when did you realize, like, oh, this this is going to work? Like, <laughs> did you know off the after Romancing the Stone that this was going to be a, a long-lasting thing? or? Well, okay, it's a lot of questions, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> no, it's a lot of questions, so let me just go through an order. <laughs> I met Bob... Um, on, I believe it was a Saturday morning um, at Warner Hollywood, I believe it was. The night before, I had received a call from a music editor named Tom Carlin I had worked with on the Chips right. series. Yeah, Chips. And it was one of those last-minute calls. There's this film. They're looking for music. They haven't found anything they like. Um, would you be interested in doing something on spec? Yes. Here's the director, his name is Bob. Mm -hmm. And there's this guy named Bob on the phone. (laughs) Hi Al, I'm Bob. So I have a scene, it's this guy and this girl there being chased by the federales in the rain, in the jungle, with machetes, and can you do about three minutes of that and come see me tomorrow morning? So I said yes spent the night putting together this really raw rough demo yeah went in to see 
Robert Zemeckis the next morning. Wow. I mean, you know, the story's kind of been out there for a yeah. long time about this, the, the, the same sweater, but it's absolutely true. <laughs> and it probably really means, it answers all of your questions. Yes. Probably. So we s sat there, or he stood, listened to the demo, um, thanked me for coming in. Um, the end of all that was I was hired to do Romancing the Stone. Right. And it was difficult because um, I was like a really new guy. I had yeah. done some television. There was a lot at stake for Bob and Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. Mm -hmm. um, but I got through the film. Bob and I had a, had a very good time of it. Yeah. Um, again, just speaking from my side of it. Yeah. In terms of, did we know? I don't think anyone could ever possibly have imagined all that. Right. Um, I mean, I am still amazed when the phone rings, <laughs> and it's Bob asking me to uh, <laughs> to join him on the next adventure. Right. I've never taken that for granted, and right. we, you know, we just finished Alien. Or not alien, yeah. allied. Allied, yeah. We just finished allied literally three weeks ago, and uh, I think it's number twenty for us or number nineteen. Wow. And you know they're always difficult, challenging, and uh, it's amazing that uh, he keeps inviting me. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how that went, you wow. know. And and so we look back on it now, and I think we're both enjoying the longevity of all this. Yeah. But, I mean, who who could ever imagine? Right. So, I mean, looking back from Rancing of Stone all the way now to Allied, um, with every new project that you do with Bob, um, does it get, let's say, a few options. Does it get easier because you guys have kind of a shorthand in the language? Does it get harder because um, you try to find new ways to say something that you both have done, haven't done in the past? Or is it just unique every single time, almost like working together for the first time every time? Well, I think it's all of those mm -hmm. things. Uh, we most certainly have a shorthand. Um, even beyond that, I think we have a trust yeah. um, that, um, that our relationship works. Right. Um, he's incredibly respectful to someone who does... Um, what I do as he is with his actors and everybody else mm -hmm. he's just he's a consummate artist um, and he has great regard for people who do right. things yeah um, so there's that um, I don't think we ever would talk about the idea of you know do we struggle to find new ways mm -hmm. I don't think there's there's any thought of new ways for the sake of newness right i think what we what we um what we really do is we in a very simple way we problem solve yeah so here's the scene and right. here's how it turned out al and you know the great thing about working with bob is he gets his intention on film Right. He doesn't have to explain yeah. what he really right. wanted. He, you're seeing w what it is. Right. So not a question of looking for anything new. It's just what does the film need and right. how do we get there and what's the right tone. Yeah. He's, uh, he's very musical, although he's not a musician, mm -hmm. and very rhythmical. Um, so we just work through scene by scene, and he's very clear. Um, and he gives me direction 
and I take it. <laughs> does uh, now that you work so long, does he t- does he temp track his films for he you? He does. So he, he does put in, does he time track with your music or always with... Sometimes with mine. Sometimes with yours, sometimes yeah. with us. Okay. For instance, on Allied, there was a, a good deal of um, Castaway oh, wow. in there. Um, and, you know, that one would think, wow, that's great. You know, somebody tempt film with your music. Well, it's not It's not always so great, <laughs> right. you know, because it's like... I've heard, yeah, I've heard everybody that say they don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> so I have to try to find that again you yeah know, i thought i was done with that um so yeah he will and and pretty much i think everyone pretty much has to temp mm. because they have so many obligations um to the studio to the producers right. in terms and to the to the stars in terms of showing the film showing scenes and all that right. that it's a natural that they're going to want to to uh they're going to want to have some some attire yeah. on the film to start to do this. And so the the temp track is really a reality now. And uh, yeah. um, it it can actually be a good thing if it gives a real indication of what some right. is it, looking it, it, for. It's, it's just a window. I mean, some directors will stick to it and force composers to it, but yeah. I think some use it as a communication tool. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Bob is one of those. Right. You know, he'll say, you're going to do whatever you do, but right. this is what we could find that had aspects that were right. kind of helping this right so we were just talking you know we we're talking about some of your uh early works with bob and and you guys got to make some amazing films back to the future and and forrest gump and and so many more but the, we're seeing this kind of a uh, resurgence of kind of live uh live score to picture mm-hmm. and you're here in town because of, of a great back to the future concert that's happening this weekend right and uh they've done that over the summer at the bowl i think right and um, what's it like getting to revisit this? I mean, I see I'm sitting right next to your desk here and you have yeah. the cue sheets open here, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Mm-hmm. To revisit all the stuff that you did a while ago, is it, and that it's, and are you realizing that it's just such a part of the world now and people's lives? And right. I mean, what does that mean to you to kind of revisit everything? Well, it's, you know, the, the, the original challenge we faced um, when the idea was presented. Mm was there wasn't a lot of music in the first half of Back to the Future. I think the first piece of music, cue-wise, came in about 18 to 20 minutes into the right. film. And th- there just wasn't a lot. So the thought of, you know, could you write more music? Could there be more music? <laughs> right. And, of course, you know, we're talking about a film that is has become over the years this iconic piece of american cinema yeah so we we worked our way through all of that and what i discovered working through that was it really wasn't going to be appropriate to write new music Mm. because that was a a film in its time yeah Um, and so i wound up going back to look at the back to the future lexicon if you will and finding things that might be fun to bring forward. Um, and Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale were, were very supportive of all that. Mm. They said, Al, you, you have the trilogy yeah. to, to look at in terms of this. And it's interesting, you know, because one of the great, great things that both Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale do as storytellers is they drop seeds everywhere certainly in the early yeah. stages of their film 
Right. And and then these things start to grow, and then they pay off later on. Yeah. So, for instance, um, in Back to the Future in concert, um, there is a scene very early on when, when Marty is in the Doc's lab, mm -hmm. and the phone rings, and it's Doc, and he goes, Marty, where are you? <laughs> And we're using material from the clock tower mm. there. Okay. Because that's another place where Doc is like, where is that kid? Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> and so, you know, Bob, the Bobs are setting that up early on in the movie. Right. And now the music is also part of that. Yeah. So that's kind of how we work through all of that. I mean, of course, you know, to see a, a packed theater... Um, and and it's not just people who were moviegoers um, in 1985, but yeah. they're there with their kids who have seen the movie five times okay. already. It's amazing yeah. to see something that kind of lives through time. It keeps finding its new audience. It's it's just an amazing thing to be part of. The one thing I always will miss is the ride from universal studios yeah yeah <laughs> which now it's a simpsons ride but i mean right, back right. in the day i remember going with when i was little and just yeah it was awesome yeah it was a really <laughs> cool thing absolutely um i and also in burbank the the burger king is yeah on victory yeah every time i live in burbank with my uh -huh. wife and every time i drive by it i'm like i just blast the score. <laughs> yeah it's, so it's still there but when you listen when you go back and you listen to your old music other than working on it for something like a concert do you ever go back or see it on TV and does your I know a lot of composers maybe like don't even revisit their stuff they, they can't listen to it because it yeah. you know, I, I could have done this differently or doesn't does it affect you do you, like, can you I do never you have any opinion I, about I never that? have a kind of an adverse reaction mm -hmm. um, you know I'm, I get up and I go to work every day and I'm right. in it and that's what I do um, when I let it go, um, I let it go kind of knowing that I was the best I could do that day. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't really, I mean, I don't have any regrets. Of course, and, yeah. and now, and again, something is on when Sandra, my wife and I will be surfing yeah. one night and we'll see, you know, Forrest Gump is on or Romancing the Stone is on. We'll watch a little of it and... And it's fun. I mean, yeah. I just smile. It's like, well, I remember that. <laughs> you know, I remember the look on their face when we ran that down and things like that. But it's, so that's you know, cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, you know, with pretty much most of these filmmakers, if if your music survives the process, right. it works. Yeah, definitely. And then it's fun to see, to see it there. I do want to talk about... Uh, how you approach sequels. You've done a lot of sequels, mm -hmm. uh, um, sequels that you've done the original, such as uh, Predator and Avengers and Father Bride, Grumpy Old mm -hmm. Men, uh, and stuff that you didn't do the original, like Mummy or Stuart Little or Odd mm -hmm. Couple. Um, what, what's the kind of key to doing a sequel score in your mind, if there's a difference between if you wrote the original or not, um, in terms of bringing familiar familiarity and mm -hmm. newness, I guess, to that mm -hmm. to the following film mm -hmm. well it's um i think when you're when you're working with a sequel it's very similar to what the the director is is uh is faced with mm. the, the great asset 
that you begin with are uh, or is this establishment of characters right so we know for instance in back to the future in, in the sequel we know who marty is we know who doc is we know these folks right. so there's there's a lot given um, in the musical world that equates to certain kinds of thematic material that is now part of the DNA right. of this particular film. Um, but of course, like you say, um, you can't show the movie again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although in Back to the Future, <laughs> I mean, that was part of the genius of the sequels is that they could find a way to do that and still have it be new right. at the same time. But uh, that's, that is the challenge with the, the, the sequel event. You want to capitalize and take advantage of, you know, old friends. Right. But there's there's new storytelling happening. So, for instance, in Back to the Future 3, there were themes that were only in that film because they were required by the, the substance of the, of the story. Right. Um, yet, the Back to the Future original theme... Other, other thematic elements and stylistic things were there also because they came with Marty and Doc and they traveled with Marty and Doc wherever they went, whether in the future, the past, wherever. Right. Um, when you start working on a film, I mean any film, uh, or maybe even if it's just with Bob or something, do you, work, do you start working in pre-production or do you wait till there's a rough cut? It really depends on when you're brought into the mix. Right. Um, but with Bob, for instance, you know he's going to call you early. Yes, Bob will let me know early. Um, I'll have something to read. Mm -hmm. We'll already be having a dinner and a chat or right. a lunch and a chat. Um, I'll sometimes be around um, while the shooting's happening. Um, but, you know, other times um, somebody will fall out of a project. It'll yeah. be very late in the game. You'll get this 13th hour call. Yeah. You'll have very little time. And, and uh, you know, you, you just have to suit up, go in, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and do the best you can. What's the shortest amount of time you've had to cook a score up? I, I had a very short time on Father of the Bride. The most dramatic one, though, that I remember was... Um, what was the name of the film? It was with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Practical Magic? Practical Magic. Practical Magic, yeah. This was a real... This was a chase film in and of itself. Uh -huh. The film apparently had been scored. And it was shown to the studio execs, was the story I got. And... They collectively, however that came about, had decided they'd like to go a different direction mm. with the score. But I think we were about two and a half weeks away from shipping the film. Wow. To like 2,800, 3,200 theaters. Wow. <laughs> so I just had to go into a room and go and go and go. I know as we were we were recording, um, there were two or three dubbing stages going where wow. things were 
being processed. And then while the end of all that was happening, they were making prints. <laughs> it was a, it was incredible. Are you That's scared. Like, no, no, uh, not. I mean, nervous. Like, or I mean, what were their emotions? Yeah, going I on? couldn't <laughs> say. I I was scared or or nervous. Um, I felt uh, going into it. Um, first of all, I I saw the film, had the talk, mm-hmm. um, and I I. I think the way I approached it was I knew I could get this amount of work done, right. but I couldn't get it done with kind of the usual protocols involved right. in in the scoring process, which were I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't be doing mock-ups. Yeah. I couldn't be submitting material and getting notes or yeah. any of that. It's just, you know, I talked to Sandra and I said, if I do this, um, I'm not going to see you or the kids or anybody (laughs) until it's done. Okay. Um, And then on the film side, um, if I do this, nobody can really talk to me. Yeah. I mean, or I I just... Right, so you got full kind of carte blanche. I I just have to go. Yeah. And just go as fast as I can. So everybody on all sides um, was agreeable with that. Mm -hmm. And then what I discovered was it was actually kind of fun yeah because i'm writing as quickly as i can just knowing that i'm not going to send this and it's like well they will they like the pace will they like the melody will they like that a flute's right. playing it instead of an oboe will they this they're, all of that kind of secondary mm-hmm. chatter was non-existent it was just like this is what it's going to be right and that's what that's going to be and <laughs> boom and like that and so that actually was fun. And I've listened to that score. I've seen the film. Yeah. And I'm as proud of that as anything I've ever done. I wow. had no time That's to do amazing. it. But if you get all the clutter out, it's amazing how much you can accomplish and how quickly. Right. So when you approach a film, any film it is, what's kind of, I guess, your first step of the process? I'm sure it differ- differs from each film, but... Um, is there anything that really pulls music out of you? Is it more of the characters, more of the, the actual plot? Is it more of the subtext? Is there something that really kind of gets that first note coming out of you? Do you usually write the theme first? Or, I mean, what is kind of your process for, like, the starting point? You know, it really is different all the time. Uh-huh. Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly in a movie like Polar Express, songs needed to be written. Right. Um, so there were ideas for a scene, not even scripted. Mm. And, uh, and so now a song has to be developed, has to be written, has to somehow be recorded in some form because animators and people have to be able to do their work. So that kind of, um, delineates a place to begin. Mm. Um, when that kind of situation is not there... I usually look for something that is kind of like a pivotal, important um, scene that's at the heart of the film. Because I know if I find that, Mm. then that will travel throughout the film, potentially, thematically. Um, So that can be a place Mm. to, to start. 
Um, of course, then you have Forrest Gump, where um, the first thing I wrote was the feather theme. Right. You the, scored the most beautiful feather in all film history. And there was, by the way, no feather. No, no, it's a CGI right. feather. Yeah, and it wasn't even there when I wrote it. So you didn't even, did you, but no. you knew there was a feather going to be there. I knew a feather was going to be there. But you just and, had that kind of empty tracking shot. Yeah, and Bob Zemeckis put his hand in front of the screen, <laughs> and Bob was the feather, That's like amazing. this. Um, but I bring this up because I, I, it's the first thing I wrote in the film, and after a few days, I brought it down. I did a little, little mock-up of it, brought it down to Bob, and he put it right in the film, and I thought, oh, I found the theme for this film. Went back to work, and what I discovered um, was I could never use even a fragment of that theme again right. in the entire film until the very end right. when we see... The feather, the feather again. Yeah. See, at that point, we were not calling it the feather theme. Right. <laughs> you know, that would, if we had, we would have been an indication, well, where's the feather? Right. Well, it's at the end of the film. Yeah, so it became kind of a bookend more than anything. It did. Yeah. It, it absolutely did. And so as every cue came up, I went, ah, no, what about that feather theme? <laughs> no, no, it won't work. No, it won't work. Got to write something new. Got to write something new. Wow. And that happened all through Gump. Um, there, there was actually quite a bit of thematic material in yeah. that film because after two or three themes were there, get to another scene, like the scene with, uh, you know, in the mall in Washington, D.C., when Jenny runs into the, into the, to the water yeah. and all. I had written a lot of thematic material of all kinds because I wrote that film front to back, and I went, oh, look at this. I have nothing. <laughs> that is going to really work for this. Yeah. It's a whole new one-off piece of thematic material and that you never hear again. Wow. And it's just for that scene. So you have to be willing to kind of yeah. do what the film needs. You right. know? Not is. kind of inflict some technical concept right. um, on it. You know, If the film needs something new, you, you have to write something new. I think it speaks volumes just about your music in Forrest Gump because it's one of the, your most memorable scores, and it, there's a lot of uh, source music in there too. I mean, from so much oldies and classic rock that's uh, and usually that overshadows the score in most right. films, but right. not with your music. It's just amazing yeah. that that I think Bob was able to do that and allow your music to breathe and to do its effect without being slammed by you yeah. know a song when it cuts to a different scene. Yeah, originally. Um, he was very concerned about how all that was going to work. Right. And at one point, just before we began, um, I got a call from him, and he said, there's going to be a ton of music in this movie. Mm. Be ready. And then shortly thereafter, he called and said, I don't know if there's going to be any music in this movie, <laughs> because all of the songs were being found, and, and, right. uh, and that was a masterful thing, the way yeah. he used all of these iconic songs when we finally got to the point in the process where we, we were going to sit down and really make the decisions it was so easy wow. it was so obvious where score needed to be in this mm. film and the songs were already there and so it was it was just simple yeah. I mean, the film told us 
yeah. what it needed, you know. And before the film is there, you know, we're there trying to speculate and, you know, <laughs> hypothesize. <laughs> but once the film's there, if you listen to it, 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 it speaks it, to you. Yeah. yeah, it tells you what you need to do and not do. Right. Another one, another film kind of going on the opposite side of the spectrum that you guys did that have, almost had no score was Castaway. Mm-hmm. Um, was there was that always the from the get go that you knew that was going to be the path, or was that something that re- you realized? Who came up with the decision that said we need to? Because there's only what like ten minutes of music the entire. No, there's more than that. But the the uh, the unique thing I think about the score in that film is you don't hear any score until you're about an hour and twenty minutes into the movie. Right. Isn't that, I'm trying to remember the first is the first scene when Wilson floats away no it's when he first leaves the island oh yes right okay so um i had seen the first half of that film um because the way that was structured um tom hanks needed to lose a lot of weight and it had to be done safely right so bob shot the first half of castaway and we went and did an entire film. Mm. We did what lies beneath, front to back. Wow. You know, shot yeah. it, scored it, dubbed it, done. <laughs> then went back and Bob shot the second half of Castaway. Wow. But I had seen the first half um, and I didn't have to decide anything at that point, so I didn't. Then we sat and watched the entire film and. You know, it's interesting. There, you could maybe make an argument for all kinds of things. Right. Um, you know, you could have played music through the plane crash. Yeah. And many would have. You could have played music all through um, the, you know, his being stranded on the island. Mm-hmm. And many would have. And you could argue the reason for doing that. For some reason, um, the performance from Tom Hanks was so compelling. It was all just so good that it didn't certainly need anything extra. Right. So... We're watching and watching and watching, and Bob's looking over at me, and it's like, really, Al? (laughs) You're not hearing anything? Uh, You know? And so, even even when he's about to burst through the surf line, you can make an argument, how in the world can you not be playing music there? But we didn't. And and when you were watching this, was there temp music in there, or was it just completely clean? Yeah, just I don't think they had anything yeah. tempt in there. I feel like that would have forced you to even be like, "Oh, there's music already here." Yeah, yeah. It, I think it would have right. colored this. I don't recall there being yeah. any temp there. Um, so anyway, um, only when when Tom looks back at the island yeah, there's that shot. and there's that shot yeah. with the with and I look at it as home mm-hmm. home is fading into the mist and out here 
is the great unknown, right. the ocean, probably his death. Yeah. Then all of a sudden there might be something. Yeah. There might be a reason to have some music here. <laughs> right. And so it was a very simple theme, played very simply. I used a, basically it was an oboe a and a small string orchestra. Yeah. The theme played basically the same way four or five places in the film and that was the score and it was i mean the, the scene in the rain it's still i mean I'm, yeah tears, tears coming down yeah. so it's it's the most effective one of the most memorable and i think effective uses of, of music so yes yeah. uh, well see that's a credit to robert zemeckis you know right. that he 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 dared to not kind of like pad himself up yeah with a lot of <laughs> obvious stuff and there was pressure i had heard from various places and yeah. forces you know they, we need it. some music here and it's right. like eh, we're gonna we're gonna start like this <laughs> well i'm glad it, it worked out yeah that it way worked out. it definitely made it i think what it is for sure yeah. <laughs> one of uh, one of my favorite scores of yours and i know uh you created one of the most awesome action movie monsters of all time predator mm -hmm. um going back I, I i heard stories that there was some was there complications with the score you guys recorded in New Europe or something and had to kind of redo mm -hmm. it in LA? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you guys were doing the, I mean, first of all, I guess not talking about the problems of scoring, but how do you come up with, I mean, a theme for that? I mean, that theme is so, I've never heard that like kind of in any other score. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like an overly militarized thing with the, the army guys, but it just it was threatening and masculine in a way, but it was... Yeah, I mean, I think those are all good, you know, adjectives. Yeah. It was threatening. It was certainly masculine. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking at Arnold <laughs> in his prime. Right. And he is, uh, he is a mountain of... <laughs> threat and masculinity <laughs> right and you know that's that's kind of where i went yeah and uh and he needed to be in this film yeah and uh i don't know you know again i just watch and look for something appropriate or something that will essentialize what what's going on and that's you know i mean this was a this was a very kind of mono a mono yeah kind of film and uh, yet we still had this exotic um, environment in mm -hmm. the jungle. Um, but the jungle was also, you know, metaphorical in this film because right. this alien, you know, it really was a story of a guy on a hunting trip. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what the story is. Right. And, uh, you know, from our point of view, it's something different. But from uh, the creature's point of view, this is just, you know, he's going duck hunting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so there was a sense of humor in it and a sense of sport. Right. Um, and, you know, it was just a, a very interesting collection of things yeah. um, that were brought together in that film. And for the score, I mean, was it, so the, was there issues when something goes wrong like that? And you, did you have to redo everything in L.A.? Or was that the... Yeah, yeah. We... Um, we uh, I was asked to go to to Budapest, right, um, to score the film by the studio. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my choice, or you know, right. I didn't really know anything about that. And this was at a time where a number of films had been scored there. Mm -hmm. um, there was a potentially significant 
not even potentially, it was most certain that there would be a, uh, a significant savings. Oh, yeah, yeah, for in terms of cost. A lot of films still do that. Yeah, I mean, they go yeah. over to Europe and exactly. lend in to save on the cost. Yeah. And so, you know, that one can't argue with that right. if, if you get what you need. Right. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, we had no choice but to go and, and, and try, yeah. which we did. Um, this, that particular score... Um, it was very rhythmic. Yeah, very it, I had a fair amount of electronic elements in it. Yeah, um, very kind of physical score. It required very precise rhythmic playing. It wasn't like doing some kind of romantic piece where there's even the slightest bit of um, leeway. Right. as to when a, a moment appears mm. this was very precise yeah. and, and rhythmic and hard and we just discovered even after a day that we weren't going to be able to get the results kind of no matter how long we stayed right so it, you're not you know it doesn't matter how much you're going to save financially right if you're never going to walk out with what you really need exactly. so we we stopped the process. We all got on a plane, and I think it was about a week later we had booked the studio at Twentieth Century Fox, to booked the orchestra mm. in L.A. And of course, the L.A. players just you know this is where they live. Yep, this is their and bread and butter. Yeah, <laughs> this is their bread and butter, and they did a magnificent job. Well, that's. It's yeah. It, the business side is always funny to look at things like that decisions and how, it, mm -hmm. but it's a part of part of the job it's absolutely it's, yeah, yeah it's very interesting though. absolutely um so there is a new predator coming up is right a, are you gonna be um you, you know, know i Black is directing I, you know <laughs> first of all i would love to do this and i love that shane black is doing this yeah <laughs> um i i i don't really know schedule wise right i know they've had some casting events of yeah. late <laughs> i don't really know at the moment right. as we speak how things have settled out mm -hmm. um, yeah it's still very early in development yeah, yeah it's yeah. still very early <laughs> i mean i think you know all i can say about that is if the schedule worked and they wanted me to do it yeah that would be that's something i would love to do because right. i did the first two of those and uh there's something fun about There's great, that yeah. whole thing. I mean, you know, certainly Predator 1 has become one of those, it's, you know, underground yeah. <laughs> kind of fun. Well, I think I've even heard Hans saying that Predator 2 is like his favorite action yeah. score of all time. No, 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 which isn't, you know, that's amazing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah so I would certainly love to do that were yeah. I to be invited. Well, that would be awesome. Yeah. Happens. <laughs> So you are coming back for the next Avengers. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what, uh, I guess, uh, you didn't do the second one, um, but what, what made you want to come back to this universe? I mean, superheroes are really the thing right now. They're very in, and, yeah. and I've talked to a lot of, you know, I've talked to Brian Tyler and a lot of other guys who worked on these films, and mm -hmm. we kind of are realizing, you know, it's, it is a perfect time for them with the way that the world is. People are looking for this kind of optimism. Mm -hmm. Um, what drew you back to that, to that world? Well, you know, I, uh, I was invited back, <laughs> and uh, I've done two films yeah. um, with Marvel. I did Captain America and Avengers, mm -hmm. both great experiences for me. Um, 
they decided to go somewhere else for the second Avengers right. film. Um, it wasn't because I didn't want to be a part of it. Right. And, and, you know, these things are so complicated. Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah. uh, so I never I never even questioned this. Yeah. Um, for any number of reasons, they, they made their decision. Mm -hmm. And um, I know these folks, and, and they're making the best decisions they can based right. on Whatever what's in the, front of yeah, them. Absolutely. And I'm just thrilled that they've come back to to talk to me about the third and fourth, actually. That's right. The fourth one is coming yeah, up as well. Exactly. So um, I'm about to see uh, a script. Yeah, very soon. The first one. Wow. Exciting. And <laughs> I have seen uh, a, a fair amount of concept art that I can I can... I can tell you is breathtaking. Oh, I can't wait. I really think the... <laughs> and the Rousseaus are an amazing duo. The Russo brothers yeah. are... What they're doing is spectacular. Yeah. And they are... They, they are really wanting to do something amazing. And right. I think they will. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled about this. <laughs> Oh, I, I think everyone is waited, mm -hmm. waiting very intently mm -hmm. for it, so we can't wait. Um, I do want to t uh, ask a little bit about Ally. We mentioned it briefly earlier, mm -hmm. but that's your newest film coming up with, with Bob and mm -hmm. coming this fall. So what was the, just I guess the general approach for, it's a, it is a, a it takes place during the war and it's a kind of a, it's a period drama. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel like that these are kind of the, the movies that automatically you think of you know, I think Alexander Desplat does a lot of these films. And is there a, a formula that, that you want to kind of avoid for the the period drama? Do you what do you kind of? I guess what is the music speaking to in this? Are you looking at the setting? I mean, what is kind of the, the what was the goal? I guess for the the film here. Well, you know, it's it's all theoretical until you see the film, and the right. film is there. Um, it's it takes place in 1942. It begins in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. It moves to London in the middle of the war bombing raids um, there's action in this film it's the Germans it's the English mm. um, and it has all of that there's intrigue the uh, the espionage yeah. side of this um, so if you were to go uh, go forward with all of that you might imagine a certain kind of score yeah kind of just from you saying that cooks up old Hollywood type sounds and, and right. stuff like that. Um, what we found um, when the film was there in front of us right. was that this really had to do with two people and it had to do with this very difficult dynamic yeah. um, being colleagues um, in, the, in the espionage world mm -hmm. Um, winding up being together, having a child together, right? And so it's 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 interesting. Sometimes, you know, the film can take care of so much, um, and you don't have to use this musical resource to kind of, as Bob might say, play the landscape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. the film's taking care of that. I mean, right. Bob knows how to shoot. Mm, yeah. You know. 
a fabulous gunfight. <laughs> you know, he's just, he doesn't need anybody there helping him. Yeah. So, you know, I think as we worked through the film and talked about it and tried things, I think, you know, we, we looked for what is, what is the best place uh, for the music and what mm -hmm. can it most powerfully serve right and uh and not kind of just be gratuitously kind of right you know as bob would also say you know you know he he, he didn't need to put a hat on a hat yeah <laughs> um and so it's that kind of interesting the, the yeah. ultimate tone and approach of it it's not what one might think right based on on the description of the yeah. film I was wondering if we could talk about pirates a little bit. Sure. And um, sure. And because I know you were attached to that film mm -hmm. very late in the game. I mean, your name was on the poster, and then mm -hmm. uh, you know Hans had to step in and mm -hmm. fix it over. I mean, like two weeks. I mean, when something goes, when do, when is it? When do you know the relationship is over? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I. It's interesting. I don't know really much about the schedule uh -huh. I, I it's i find it hard to believe hans had two weeks to I think fix it was like, anything maybe like three, four, because yeah. <laughs> i actually never got past one m1 really yeah. so you never wrote anything for uh, just no. demos or something and literally for one m1 wow i mean so there it wasn't like i scored the film and yeah. it was rejected it it was stopped rather early on oh, okay and um so i think I, again, I don't know kind of what went on after I right. I was gone, um, but I'm gonna bet it wasn't two weeks. Um, but I've you heard know, between two and f four, so yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't know really. You know, I I don't either. <laughs> exactly. Um, but look, you know, this is a I I've I really don't know um, too much about the inner workings, but looking at it from the outside, mm -hmm. I know that. I mean, first of all, Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, um, is a huge force yeah. in his films, and he should be. Um, he is a very hands-on producer, has had tremendous success. I love Jerry. Yeah, his yeah. films are amazing. And so um, Jerry and Hans had, um, I think, a substantial amount of history. Right, over the 90s action. Yeah, and, and, and so... I did not find it strange that um, that Jerry um, would want to be in surroundings that were known, mm -hmm. comfortable, really good, right. and that he had had success with. So, you know, Gore Verbinski was kind of new to Jerry's world, I yeah. think, at that time. It was only his and, third film or something, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I don't know that it was his third film with Jerry Bruckheimer. No, 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 yeah, because you guys did Mouse Hunt in Mexico yeah, beforehand. Yeah, it was our, yeah. right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's very common for a producer to give the director their guy. Right. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, you know, this is a Jerry Bruckheimer film. Right. And you just know that Jerry Bruckheimer is going to have a great deal of influence in terms of everything. Yeah. So that kind of made sense. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's it's fine. When when that happened, I got the call from Gore and, uh, and I got a lovely call from Jerry. Yeah. And, uh, you know... That's just how it works. Yeah, I mean, I know, every every composer has that story. Absolutely, yeah. it's Jerry's name on that yeah. film. <laughs> he, you know, he should have what he wants and what he needs. 
there's nothing odd about that. Right. Well, well, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always curious as to the pirate score you could have, you would have scored because I think that's such a yeah. great canvas for, for any knows? composer. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, but just to just kind of start switching off scores for a while, I'm also a big fan of your other compositions, which is wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when did you decide to start this endeavor for a vineyard? I mean, you got and it's it's growing. I think a lot in the it area. Is. It's a very. It I is. mean, and I ordered it online is. and I yeah. stopped by there. So fantastic. So what what was that a, a passion project that you always had, or did you just wake up one morning and go, I want to make wine? It was. Uh, I couldn't say it was a passion project we always had uh-huh. we had a piece of property we bought in Carmel Valley right and we actually bought this place as a place for our daughter who was a uh, she was a gifted um, equestrian ah yes and yeah. we thought wow this would be great have a place for her to ride and <laughs> yeah. and all that and after a short while we're looking at these open fields and going, you know, what do you, I wonder if, what about this wine thing? Do we, you know, what, what if we planted some vines? And, yeah. <laughs> and so we, we really did our due diligence. I think we started the plan in 1998. Wow. And we really spent two full years really just in the research mode. Yeah. Soil samples weather tracking we had these little um, sensors in about 13 to 15 sites on the property Mm. they were taking temperature readings every 15 minutes during the growing season we did that for two years then all this data is downloaded onto a um, a laptop and 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 looked at water samples soil samples all of these things (laughs) And after two years, so this brings us now to 2000, mm. we had a list of varietals that um, on paper could thrive in the conditions of this property. Right. And we looked at the list and um, we thought, you know, let's go with some things we like and some things that, that have the best chance of being um, vital right. here. And we came upon... Um, the idea of doing a Chardonnay, a Pinot Noir, and a Syrah. And that's how we began. So yeah. we planted um, in 2000. Wow. And in the life cycle of a vine, for the most part, you don't really see any fruit until what they call the third leaf or uh-huh. the third year of the plant. And in 2003, all of these varietals produced fruit. We made all of the wine. And we sold all of the wine, and we thought, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna try this, and you know here we are, what in 2016? Yeah. And we've kept at it. Um, we've done some expansion. We now, you know, over the years, finished building the winery, and right. uh, then we wound up with the tasting room in downtown Carmel. Yeah, and, which I stop by yeah. every time when and I go to so San Fran. <laughs> it's become this really lovely. part of our life and uh it's farming and everything that goes with it you know you're you're kind of at the whim of the weather and uh you know i like to think of it as rock and roll agriculture (laughs) we've got a spectacular young winemaker who's enthusiastic and uh 
and it's it's just a really fun thing. So right. we're and you we're, never have to go buy wine. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so right. when you're ready for dinner, what yeah. do you want? Oh yeah. <laughs> Although that would be a lot less expensive than what it costs yeah, us per right. bottle. <laughs> so you know, just maybe looking at your entire career uh, from you know, from start to to now. Uh, what are your views on, on, I guess, the shape of the industry over these years? I mean, are you seeing trends that you like? Are you seeing trends that maybe, maybe oh, maybe that's a shame that you're seeing. I mean, what are your kind of views on how, where the film and the film music industry is over these, the, the span of your career? Well, I've seen, um, I've seen obviously a lot of movement. Right. Um, and even had you asked me a couple of years ago, um, I probably would have had a lot to say about the newness and what's different and all. What I'm starting to feel now is at the heart of it all, um, there's really nothing new. Mm. Uh, certainly the technology has changed right. and that has a profound change on the technical side of making a film and certainly the technical side of making music. Mm. Um, you know, with fantastic DAWs, with fantastic sampled libraries, you know, a young composer now for a very minimal investment mm. can, can sit at their kitchen table and write music right. and, and realize it um, and play it for a potential cl client in a way that was unthinkable mm -hmm. back when I started. That's just getting better and better, um, and that has been kind of a steady, um, steady curve. Right. In terms of the films themselves, I've seen a very strong thematically based film music world turn into actually quite the opposite yeah where strong themes were really not seen as being fashionable mm. um, and and in fact you know shunned yeah. and all that I'm now seeing uh, firsthand because of what I'm being asked to do this re-emergence of, of thematic material mm. and you know part of that um, if not the, the, the great part of that has got to do with filmmakers realizing the, the, the power and usefulness right. of thematic material. So that I've had a chance to kind of live through the cycle, to see it come and go and yeah. come back again. In the end, I think, you know, it's, it's as difficult as it's always been to tell right. a compelling story on film. And I don't think anything has really changed about that. Yeah. And filmmakers still have all the same challenges. Yeah. <laughs> and composers um, just follow along on that path um, with the director and the, the, uh, yeah. the producers in the studio. So, you know, everyone's still trying to make a good film right. uh, through telling a good story through great performances and from that point of view there's nothing new going on here <laughs> well alan thank you so much for your time today it's been such a pleasure to sit down with you and uh and um your music has been such a huge part of my life for a long time and uh and it will continue to be to do so and congrats on the concert i hope it, it's going to be amazing i'm sure it will be so <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that and and thank you it's been a delight for me